open with me in your copies of God's Word to the letter of Paul to Titus. I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 4. And what I hope to do this afternoon is briefly grant an overview of this book. We have dealt with a couple of things, but this afternoon I'd like to highlight the gospel from the letter of Paul to Titus. Hear the immutable word of God. Paul, servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. I'll pray and then we will skim through the three chapters of the book of Titus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you may help us to be able to see wondrous things out of your law. We've been going through this book of Titus. We managed to preach through every single verse therein. Would you please allow that as we briefly consider some major themes from this book that we would be helped to see that you are concerned for our souls, concerned for um, our Christian lives, you are concerned for our church life, you are concerned with every facet of our lives, that you may be glorified and that we may, we may be helped. Grant that the gospel will stand out this afternoon. May your word be clear to us. Reveal to us your will for our salvation by your word and by your spirit. Because we come to you, we desire that you may illumine us. Make your face to shine on us this afternoon. May your word be plain to us. Hear our prayers, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When the gun was invented, <clears throat> the way people looked at military and wars changed completely. Right? Uh, people started fighting in a different way. Um, the threat in wars became bigger. When the plane was invented, the traveling world completely changed. So that we, we, we would be able now to move from one end of the world to the other. Because planes have been created. There are some two brothers who are willing to take the risk to fly something that they created. And it worked. And therefore, life for humans changed. Now, enter technology. And this came in to revolutionize things. Human beings' lives will never be the same due to the technological advancements that we have 
in present day earth what am i trying to say i'm trying to say that there are events that have shaped and even changed our lives tremendously that we sometimes look back and wonder how we managed to exist without the advancements that we have made so far there are things that have happened in our lives that have changed our lives in such a manner that we look back and we wonder how did the first man adam exist now the apostle paul tells the romans that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of god and to the salvation of all who believe to the jew first and then to the gentile now there is nothing that happens in the life of the sinner that changes him or her like the gospel does there are many things that happen in our lives that change us different things happen in the course of our lives that change the way we think change the way we live change uh, uh, our outlook on life but nothing so changes the lives of human beings nothing so changes the life of a sinner to be more precise like the gospel does or than the gospel does the gospel does not come to shake up things the gospel does not change you a little bit the gospel doesn't even change most things in your life the gospel comes to change everything in the life of the sinner that's what i'll be laboring to show you from the entire book of titus that the gospel changes everything anyone who claims to be impacted to have been impacted by the gospel is essentially saying that the gospel has changed every facet of his life the gospel has changed them completely that they their lives will never be the same again and just like we wonder how people lived in the past we who are 21st century believers sorry 21st century human beings in a similar way those who have been saved wonder how did we live how, how are we living when we were dead in our trespasses how could we live the way we were living because when the gospel comes it comes to change everything it comes to grant a completely different outlook on life I'd like to bring three points from this book <clears throat> these three points are not based on they're not it's not point 1 chapter 1 point 2 chapter 2 and then point 3 chapter 3 rather it's uh point 1 chapters 1 2 3 0.2 chapters 1 2 3 and 0.3 the same number 1 the gospel grants salvation the gospel grants salvation like us to see from this book of titus that it is only through the gospel of jesus christ that salvation is obtained and it changes the heart number 2 the gospel grants proper christian living the gospel grants proper christian living like us to see from the three chapters that once the gospel changes the heart once someone is saved their behavior is changed they start living properly as believers 
And then thirdly, the gospel grants proper church structures. That the gospel changes the believer, it changes the sinner, they become a believer, and then it helps them to live properly as a Christian. And then thirdly and lastly, it helps them to, uh, it helps us rather to have proper church structures. It changes our church practices. The gospel grants salvation, the gospel grants proper Christian living, the gospel grants proper church structures. So number one, the gospel grants salvation. It changes the heart. Look with me at chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. The reason why this has been written is for the sake of the faith of God's elect. But how are these God's elect obtained? They are obtained by the salvation that God grants. It is God who saves them. These elect are not so by their own imposition. They do not become elect because they decide to be. They are the elect of God because God is the one who saves them. The gospel grants salvation. Now look with me at verse 3. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God who? God who? God our Savior. God is the one who saves. God is the one who grants salvation. God is the one who comes to change everything. God is the one who has granted this message of reconciliation that we call the gospel and through it, he saves us. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, God saves us. Saves us through the gospel. Look at verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The gospel grants salvation because God saves us. God saves us through it. It's in the gospel that we hear of a Messiah who is able to forgive sins. Thus then the gospel grants salvation. It changes the heart. So God is our savior. God is the one who changes us. God is the one who saves us. Chapter 2. Verse 9, born servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Verse 10, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. God saves us through the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto the salvation of all who believe. Now when we read, the, when we read through the book of Titus, we should not miss it. That God is the one who saves us. And when we ask the question, how does God save, save us? The answer is through the gospel. The gospel changes the hearts of the sinners because God is the one who saves us through it. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's the one that saves us. He saves us how? He saves us through the gospel. So the gospel grants salvation. You please pay attention to, to me. Look at uh, chapter 3. In chapter 3, we read from verses 4 to 6. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Again, and what we have there is the regenerating work of God the Holy Spirit, the saving work of God the Father and God the Son. Thus then, the way God saves us is, of course, by the power of His Spirit. And He has given us a message that we call the Gospel. And this, it is in this Gospel that the power of God is, is obtained. The power of God to save sinners. Now, when we read through the book of Titus, we should clearly see that there is a Gospel message being proclaimed. That there is a God who has created a people for Himself, whom He calls the elect. And then this God comes to save them by his act of election, by his act of redemption, and by his act of the, the, the application of the redemption through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or I should have said that uh, uh, the, 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 the Father elects, the, the, the Son redeems, and the Holy Spirit regenerates. And thus then we know that the Gospel grants salvation. It changes the hearts of men. So as we read through the book of Titus, one of the things that we have, we have clearly seen is the gospel message. And this gospel comes to change us. The Holy Spirit comes and when He comes, He washes us. The washing of regeneration. He grants that uh, 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 washing that Jesus tells Nicodemus. You must be born of the water and the Spirit. You must be cleansed. You must be sanctified. And this, this only happens through the Spirit of God. So you see that the gospel grants salvation to, to change our hearts. That's one of the major themes that we have here. The true gospel changes the hearts of men. God saves us by renewing us. He comes and pours out His Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ. The work that Jesus Christ has accomplished can never be accomplished by anyone else. It would not have been accomplished by anyone else and it will never be done by anyone else. When God has, has sent His Son and the work that He has done, that work is now full and free. It is full and sure. And now all the sinners must run to Jesus Christ. Everyone must go to Jesus Christ. As this letter is read to the Cretan believers, they're being told, you have been saved like this. Go out and proclaim the same. Let the world know that God is the one who has saved you. God, our Savior, is the one who has done this. 
Jesus Christ our Savior is the one who has done this. And the Holy Spirit comes to awaken. Trust upon this message. Look, look to Jesus Christ as granted in this message that we call the gospel. And your lives will be, your lives will be changed. You'll be created anew. You'll be given a new heart. You'll be new creatures. You will, you, you will walk anew. You'll be granted eternal life. That's what the apostle will be, will be telling the Christian believers as he writes to Titus. That first and foremost is that God is our saviour. That the gospel grants salvation. And, and this, this is all over the pages of the New Testament. At least in the apostle is writing. You, you see glimpses of the gospel everywhere in the letters that he has written. And that's not different from the letter that he writes to Titus. And see, when we think about the book of Titus, we are mostly thinking that this is a pastoral letter, or at least uh, <clears throat> if you step foot in a theological institution, this will be brought to you as a pastoral letter. But make no mistake, this book is relevant to you who is seated there. Because the gospel that saves people, that changes the hearts of men, is expounded here. We are told of a God who saves, who is the Savior. We are told of the Lord Jesus Christ who redeems. We are told of the Holy Spirit who regenerates and renews. It's absolutely important for you. Number two, the gospel grants proper Christian living. The gospel grants proper Christian living. Changes our behavior. We believe that <clears throat> salvation is not obtained by a change of behavior. But we also believe that once someone has been saved, their behavior changes. We believe that salvation is not obtained by changing your behavior. But we should at the same time say that once one is saved, or we believe that once one is saved, their behavior changes. And that's what the gospel grants. It grants proper Christian living. The true gospel produces godliness. Look at chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, in their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. When he's writing this to them, it's not only that they may know of the great salvation that they have obtained through the gospel, it's so that they may also know that the gospel that they have received grants what? Godliness. That this uh, uh, faith that they have as God's elect, their knowledge of the truth accords, should accord with godliness. It should not only grant them hope of eternal life, it should grant that they are godly. Produces godliness. Look at chapter 1 verse 16. They profess to know, godly, uh, to, to, to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And what you see there is the apostle saying, these men who creep into the church, who come with a different gospel, who come with the, you know, who come with some authority that they have superimposed upon themselves, they're ungodly. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. Why? Because the gospel that saves people changes them. 
It changes them and grants them proper Christian living. It changes their behavior. So that these, these Cretans who are always liars, lazy gluttons, evil beasts, are not saved. They have not come into contact with the gospel. Because when one comes into contact with the gospel, they bear fruit. They have good works. And that's what the apostle is saying there. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Their works, in other words, their works evidence that they do not know Jesus Christ. That the gospel has not dawned upon their hearts. And therefore he says, they are detestable. They are disobedient. They are unfit for any good work. Whatever good work they may do is not fitting. Whatever good work they may wish to perform is never fitting because they are unfit for it. They are unfit because the gospel of Jesus Christ which grants salvation has not dawned upon them and therefore their change of behavior is not legitimate because change of behavior is only legitimate where the gospel has impacted the heart. The true gospel grants proper Christian living and these men who are described here from verse 10 uh, down have not come into contact with the gospel. So another theme that we see here is that of faithful Christian living. Christian living that produces good works. <clears throat> Look at chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Now notice this, the, way, the way this verse has been written. The grace of God has appeared. It's brought salvation for all people. And the all people there, <clears throat> we have constantly seen that it's the people that are talked about in the context. It's not all people everywhere who have ever lived. Rather, it's the people that are described from verse 1 to verse 10. So the grace of God appears, it grants salvation, and when it grants salvation, it trains those who have been saved to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You see, the gospel comes in, changes the heart of the sinner, and then it enables the sinner to live proper Christian life. They're enabled to renounce ungodliness. And you hear that same, same, same idea there uh, that we've heard in verse 1 of godliness. We are trained to renounce ungodliness. We are trained to live godly lives once the gospel dawns on us. So that as you read through the book of uh, Titus, you not only should pay attention to the gospel message as it has been given in various places, you, you should also pay attention to what the gospel does to those who are saved, it changes their behavior. It grants proper Christian living. It grants good works. And that's what we have seen in the past couple of sermons. That good works are essential in the life of the Christian. They are essential not because they save the, the, the sinner. They are essential because they evidence, they, they prove that the sinner has been saved. So that one cannot say that they are saved and lack good works. Or to put it differently, if you lack good works, what is to show that you are saved? That's what the word of God grants us. So that even though the good works never save us, 
the gospel grants that we must produce fruit. We must bear fruit. It's why we have been saved. Again, chapter 1, verse 16. These people who profess to know God, they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work because those whom the gospel has dawned upon them produce fruit. They bear good works. Just, that's another theme that we should identify in this book. The theme of good, good works. Because good works evidence our claim of knowing God, our claim of believing in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 7. The apostle tells Titus, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. And what he's telling him is, because you have been saved, because you are my true child in a common faith, because the grace and peace of God have dawned upon you, therefore, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Live in such a manner that shows, that, that, that displays the gospel that has saved you. So that while the gospel is a message to be proclaimed, we could well say that it can be modeled in the way we live. Now we don't believe that we preach the gospel by living uprightly. You know that teaching, eh? Don't preach to us. Just live properly and we will, we will see and know Jesus. We don't believe in such doctrines because the gospel is a message that should be proclaimed. But nonetheless, the Christian should live properly. They should live properly so that if there is a message they want to proclaim, people can actually see that they are showing themselves in all respects to be a model of good works so that the opponents may be put to shame having nothing, to say, nothing evil to say about us. The gospel grants proper Christian living. Good works. Chapter 3, verse 1 forward. <clears throat> Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now who are these being reminded? These are the Cretan believers. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's a, 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 a description of what it means to bear fruit. To have good works. We are to be submissive to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient to, 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 be, obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. And this is how we show that the gospel has dawned on us. Because the gospel grants proper Christian living. Once the gospel dawns on us, it changes everything. It changes our heart. It gives us a new heart. It changes our behavior, the way we live with people. We strive to speak evil of no one. We strive to watch over our lips. The door of our mouths should be watched over by those who profess to know Jesus Christ. We strive to be peaceable, not quarreling with people each and every time. Not being quarrelsome. Not being uh, people of strife. We strive to show perfect courtesy toward all people. We strive to refrain from partiality. We strive to live with people in a way that displays that the gospel has dawned on us. We submit to the rulers and the authorities. We obey them. We submit to them as far as they are not in opposition to the word of God. Good works. Verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. 
The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. That those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Good works. Those who have believed in God. Those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Those who have been saved. Those who have been regenerated. The Bible says that they are to pay attention. They are to be careful. To devote themselves to good works. Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Similar language. That they give themselves to bearing fruit. They devote themselves to serving others. They devote themselves to living at peace with all men. Even those that are unbelievers. That's another theme that we see here. That the gospel grants proper Christian living. Changes our behavior. Now number three and lastly. The gospel grants proper church structures. The gospel grants proper church structures. It changes our church practices. So the Apostle Paul, throughout this book, gives us the gospel. He gives us the impact that the gospel bears upon our lives. And then he goes on to grant the impact that the gospel has on the way we do church. We don't do church the way we please. We don't do things the way we want. The Apostle Paul says, the way the gospel grants proper church structures is first of all by having faithful leaders in the church. Faithful church leadership. It's one of the ways that we, we see that the gospel grants proper church structures. We have a theme there for faithful church leadership. Chapter 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a love of good, self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trust of the word as thought so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Proper church leadership. Now the Apostle Paul doesn't talk about the diaconate here, but he talks about it elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But what we see here is that for a church to be in order, and this we saw many Sundays ago, that uh, uh, churches are to have pastors. If a church does not have a pastor, it still is out of order. It still needs to be, to be put in order. That's what the Apostle says here. Appoint elders in every town. Put what remained into order. Put things in, in their proper place. Have proper structures. And the way we have proper structures is not by determining for ourselves what we are going to do. The way we have proper structures is we come to the word of God and we see what the word of God does. Now, you see, when the apostle was with Titus in Crete, serving together with him before he leaves him, they preached the gospel. That's the work that they have. They proclaim Christ and Him crucified. And now when people have been saved, when they come because of this gospel that has saved them, when they have heard of the crucified Savior, the one alone who is able to forgive their sins, when they come, what are they coming to? They are coming to a church structure. They are coming to join up with the people. And these people 
can only be governed by the gospel. Ask them the gospel that has saved them, this message that has that, that have brought Jesus Christ to them, grants that there is a certain way that these people ought to look. There is a certain way that they ought to conduct themselves individually in their own personal lives, and there is a certain way that they should conduct themselves once they are once they are come together. Once they are brought together. That's what we have there, faithful church leadership. And so I ask you a question there. Should a Christian continue to be in a, in a place that calls itself church but is not adhering to biblical standards of faithful church leadership? The answer is no. If they are unwilling to adhere to faithful uh, to biblical standards of faithful church leadership, the implication there is that they are not faithful to the gospel. They are not faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because the same apostle who preaches Christ crucified is the same apostle who says, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so every church should be granted proper church leadership. Should have proper church structures. And this happens because the gospel has dawned upon a people, changing their hearts, changing their behaviors, and now changing the way they do church or what they do when they gather together. So we, we are granted they are qualified men. And the, the, the gospel grants proper church structures. And, and what we see there is that uh, these faithful leaders are to rebuke false teachers. That to deal with the false teachers. Verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give sound to, to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And then we have us ten forward there. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, one of the reasons why the elders are appointed is not only that they may bring the word of God to the people of God, it's because there, there are people who are insubordinate. They are empty talkers. They are deceivers who need to be stopped, especially those of the circumcision party. And then he says in verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. The false teachers must be stopped. As the gospel grants that we have a proper church structure by having faithful church leaders so that the false teachers can be stopped. Now, I believe that one of the reasons that the church in Kenya is the way it is is because of this. We have departed from the gospel. Having departed from the gospel, we have, we have people living the way they please, calling themselves Christians. And the effect of that is we can invite people like Benihin and rejoice. Hey, you have the man of God coming. A wolf in sheep's clothing. That's a direct effect of abandoning the gospel. The gospel that changes the hearts of sinners. The gospel that changes the way people live and the way they think, the world, their worldview. And the gospel which grants that this is the way the church looks. That's a, a direct result of abandoning the gospel. So we have a theme, we have a theme there of uh, faithful church leadership. We have a theme of uh, 
dealing with the false teachers contending for the faith fighting with those who oppose us that's what we have in verse 13 this testimony is true therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths commands of people to turn away from the truth now <clears throat> I was trying so hard in my preparation that this would not be like a lecture you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way you can do an overview and it becomes a lecture rather than preaching I'm hoping that uh, as, as you see the themes you're, you're able to see that this is how this is how Christianity should look like. It begins with the gospel, it ends with the gospel. Gospel changes everything. Changes the way uh, the way we think about sinners. It grants salvation. Changes the way we think about morality. Changes the way we live. And it changes the way we think about church. We also told there that sound doctrine ought to abound must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. The matter of sound doctrine uh, is emphasized. When the people of God gather, sound doctrine abounds where the gospel is exalted. Where the Lord Jesus Christ is at the epicenter of every teaching and preaching that happens in any given local congregation. That's where teaching that is sound, doctrine that is sound begins. Now when you enter into a place where the gospel uh, is, is, is just the ABCs of life. Eh? You know what the ABCs are? Eh? The basics. If, if you enter into a place where the gospel is just the basics, and now we've left the basics, now we, we are advanced. We are talking about other things. That's a dangerous place. Because sound doctrine, for sound doctrine to be taught in any given local church faithfully, it begins and ends, it begins, continues and ends with the gospel. So that where the gospel is downplayed, there you have no sound doctrine. And where the gospel is exalted, sound doctrine follows. Because it is the gospel that motivates everything that we do in life. It's the gospel that motivated us powerfully for us to be saved. It's the gospel that motivates our morality, the way we live. And it's the gospel that motivates our churchmanship, the way we do church. When the gospel is downplayed, church becomes a completely different animal becomes a social club. We are told there in chapter 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in, in behavior. Hear that language? Behaviors, behaviors change for the people that have been impacted by the gospel. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Hear that language? Good works. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be reviled. 
Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. Bond servants, verse 9, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative. This is how the church looks like. Proper church structures. Men live like this in the church. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. This is how they conduct themselves. Bond servants. This is how they live. Now being part of a gospel church. Having been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. Having been changed in their morality by this glorious gospel. Now the gospel demands that the way they do church becomes different. It's, it's not the kind of thing that you, you hear with today's old people. Yeah. That's, that's how we were. When we were young, we were doing those things. No. No, the gospel changes the way we think about church. So that the older men are to live in such a manner that they model everything for, for everyone. Not only the younger men. The older women, the same. It's not the, it's not the kind of thing that... Uh, when we were young, we used to wash the utensils. We used, we used to cook for people in the church. No. It's that they are to walk with the younger women now. They are to direct them. They are to show them how to carry themselves out. Especially in today's day and time. What do the younger women want to do? They want to take the place of their husbands. They want to be the providers in the home. And they forget that their work is to be working at home. And thus they need to be directed. How about the younger men? They need to be directed by the older men. They need to see godly models of godly manhood. And this is how church should be done. It's not the kind of thing that you see today where people come into church and they live the way they please. Or they come to church the number of times that they want. I have this, I have this, thing, this thing that is very important. I'm going to come to church once a month. Or twice a month. Getting in and out the way they please. It's not that kind of thing. The way we do church becomes different because of the gospel that has saved us. That's a theme that we see in this book. People are changed. There are different roles for different people groups in the church. And people live differently. They carry themselves in a certain way. This, my friend, shows us <clears throat> that the gospel changes everything. It changes you, changes your behavior, and it changes the way you do church. It changes me, my behavior and the way I do church changes us all granting salvation changing our lifestyles changing the way we fellowship with one another if you think about the book of Titus like that you'll have a clear picture of what message is being communicated here So what, <clears throat> what are we to do with this book of Titus now that we have finished? I'll just give one application. Treasure the gospel above everything else. You see, God has saved us by his glorious gospel. This is the gospel. The father chooses men. The son comes and dies for them. 
the Holy Spirit renews them and produces fruit in them. This is the gospel that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now you hold fast to that message, you continue in it, and your life will unfold in accordance with the will of God. You remember that everything is about God and nothing is about you. Everything is about God and His purposes. When you remember that, let it point you to the God whom everything is about. The one who is good. The one who can only be about himself because he's the greatest good. He's the chiefest and best of beings. And let that draw you to the work that this God, the purposes that this God has. And what, has he, what are his purposes? His purposes are to glorify himself in the gospel of his son. That's what we've sung. God in the gospel of his son makes his eternal counsels known. Where, where love in all its glories shine and truth is drawn in, in its fairest lines. The, pl- the purposes of God, the plans of God are to glorify himself in the, sa- in the salvation of his people through his son by his spirit. If you can have that message at the forefront of your eyes, never forgetting it, your life will be in order. Everything that unfolds in your life will be in accordance with the will of God. Because you have the major things in place. The major thing in this, in this case is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once you forget the gospel, once you forget that the gospel changes you, it changes your behavior and it changes the way you do church, you do life the way you please. You walk the way you want. You command yourself. And only bring God when you think you need Him. Forgetting that you need Him every hour. May the Lord bless you with these words. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we skim through the book of Titus, we see a consistent theme of what the gospel does to us. When the apostle is writing to Titus, he's writing to his child in the common faith. The gospel has changed his heart, it has changed the heart of Titus, it has changed some people in Crete. And then it changes the way they live, changes the way they carry themselves, changes their conduct. And then it changes the way they, the way they do church. We pray that this may be true of us. That the gospel has granted us salvation that the gospel grants proper Christian living and that the gospel grants proper churchmanship. Please, Lord, glorify yourself in our consistent remembrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in in every other passage of scripture that we will consider, May the gospel of Jesus Christ be exalted. May it be that we we are truly worshipping God by understanding your purpose and the lifting up of your son that we may all bow to him. Please help us, Lord. We are a needy people. We need you more than we know. Come and bless to our souls the things that we have heard. 
that they may not be in vain. Hear our prayers because we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen.